Well, welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church thought. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible and this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about His Word with us. Welcome back to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I am excited. Today, we're wrapping up our uh, short little series on the desires of the heart as we continue to talk about God's word and how we can have this special type of relationship with the Lord. Um, and it's not something new or, or crazy or, you know, breakthrough. Uh, it's been around for a long time. In fact, Jesus taught it to us in the way that he lived and the apostles continued to as well. So we've been focusing on that throughout this podcast. And to discuss the episode today on intimacy, I have Ricky, my fantastic uh, stalwart co-host on with. Welcome, Ricky. Thank you again. I'm always, always I'm appreciative of the invite. I do not take it for granted. I, uh, I really enjoy it. I feel it's a privilege to be a part of what you're doing here. Yeah, I, I hope others can uh, can find fruit in what we're saying and take it to their relationship with the Lord. This this idea of intimacy, Ricky, I, I hear it a lot, uh, especially in the counseling world. Um, and those who are in counseling, those who are healing, those who are getting through traumas. Uh, this idea of intimacy is is something that I think is is talked about quite a bit in our modern society, uh, and I think it's I think it's an important thing to have. We talk about intimacy with an another individual, whether it's you know through a romantic uh, intimacy or just a a close knit friendship. Um, going into intimacy, you know, it's something that we we share without a wall or barrier, without any expectation. Of the other person or maybe we do but we don't we don't allow that to enter into the the conversation so then we we continue to share our hurts our praises and joys and in doing so we open up our heart we become vulnerable to the other person and in that process of being vulnerable and feeling the trust that the person i'm talking to and i'm sharing my vulnerabilities with Number one, that they're not sharing it on, you know, CNN or Fox News or, you know, out on some crazy news network, yeah. right? Uh, or, you know, in, in our in our friendship circles. But at the same time, they are listening to me and I'm, and I'm feeling heard. I'm feeling, you know, seen and respected and loved. But on the other end, when I see someone who's opening up to me and they're sharing kind of their their deepest feels if you will i know that i have a little bit more trust in that person because they've trusted me enough they've honored me with some of their most difficult moments 
And just like you said, that you don't take for granted being on the podcast. Whenever someone shares something pretty deep, whether it be a trauma or a fear, when they do that, I don't take that for granted because um, that's a huge step for someone to be able to do. And so I want to honor that. But what that makes me feel is, is that I have now this, this closer relationship, this closer friendship or mentorship or whatever the, the relationship is, right? So in, in that case, we've grown in what we call intimacy. We are, we are closer bonded than we were before. And I think you've probably seen that in many of your own friendships or relationships, yeah? Yeah. Um, Years ago, we used to do a a presentation in junior highs and high schools dealing with marriage. And uh, I would ask uh, the students questions about, you know, what would... If you thought of your, if you thought about the best relationship you could ever have, what would it look like? And then I would jot down on the, the chalkboard um, that, you know, they want camaraderie, they want love, they want emotion. And they'd go through this long list, right? And that long list, every time, had attributes of a best friend relationship, you know, with trust and all of that, and mm-hmm. a, a romantic marriage, a good marriage relationship. And I w- then and then we would talk about, you know, what you can do to prepare for that kind of thing. And all the time, the word intimacy would come up. Well, I, I would want my relationship with my, I would want intimacy. So then I would ask the question, what do you have in mind when you think of intimacy? And most of the time they would talk about, you know, a physical relationship, but there was always some astute students who would go, yeah, I definitely would like to have the the physical relationship, but there's another aspect of intimacy, isn't there? And then we would explore that. And, you know, and, and what that comes down to really like what you were talking about, it's intimacy is the ability, I think, to trust somebody at the most vulnerable, as you put it, that we can be, uh, where we get to know them and be known by them at a level where we reach a mind-to-mind, eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart level of trust and confidence where we honestly have learned about this person so much. We've seen this person in action in lots of different situations, how they respond to to conflict, how they respond to disappointment, how they interact with people in their family of origin, how they interact in our friendship circles. And do other people uh, view them as dependable and trustworthy? And have we seen that in action? So it takes time to develop that kind of intimacy. You know, what happens in a lot of relationships is people jump into transparency very quickly. And it's how they get burned. People are getting burned all the time because they don't take time to really get to know someone 
and to allow that person to to know us. So when I think of it, when we think of intimacy in that regard, it is available to to lots of types of relationships. You probably won't develop that kind of intimacy with too many people. Uh, True. It, if if we define it this way and you know and and uh and when it comes to the lord he would like us to have that kind of relationship with him and i think most people would like to have that kind of intimacy with him because you know it's just really not enough to know about god or what god expects from us it's a whole lot better to know God. And I hope my the emphasis on the word know came through there. It's, you know, just just knowing him, just believing in him is not is not the uh, the goal. The goal is to know him in a very personal way, to, to trust him, understand him, and to know that, of course, he understands us and knows us intimately and completely. I think you made a great analogy when you said it takes time. Uh, you know, you you see them through the different conflicts that they might go through. I, I once heard it, you know, in a dating relationship, you want to see how they handle each of the holidays um, yeah. because, you yeah. know, be, yeah, Valentine's Day might be great, but when they hit Christmas and, you know, the crazy overwhelmed feeling comes out, uh, you got to be able to, handle that. And, uh, yeah. joking aside, I think there's, there's some truth to understanding that in our relationship with the Lord, if it takes a while to develop that intimacy with another individual, another human being, and we're, we're willing to put that in, like, that's the big thing, right? I'm willing to put that in for the sake of a future best friendship, a future, uh, dating to marriage relationship, furthering my relationship with my child or my parent. So I, I, I can see the benefits of that, right? Yes. But so many people, they look at the relationship with God and they think, well, he already knows me. So what do I need to, what do I need to work on? Or maybe it's not that, but they lack the intimate side of that relationship. And so I want to think on this first why question. Why would we even want intimacy with Yahweh, with the Lord? What, why do you think? Like if you could put maybe two or three things in there, what are, maybe it's personal or maybe you've heard it from others, but what are some reasons, what are some reasons or, or benefits to having that intimacy with the Lord? Well, a couple of things that, you know, that you and I talk about a lot is, one of the aspects of a relationship with the Lord is indeed emotions, right? And it kind of goes to that whole thing about, I could know something intellectually, but that might not be motivational for me. It might not be relational for me. It might not be emotional, but God wants us to have not only the truth about him, but to have a, a real true fellowship with him. And so in an, in an intimate relationship, like what we're talking about, that, that is eye to eye, heart to heart, mind to mind, at a level where we have confidence, we trust, we we in fact have faith in the other the other person. 
Well, we then have the privilege of feeling loved and we have the privilege of feeling supported. We have the, the privilege of feeling confidence. We have the privilege of, of feeling accepted and, and belonging and mm. all of these things. We, not, we don't only know that God is that way towards us we can come to a place where it it is relational it's motivational and it's emotional we can experience it at that level you know without conjuring it up by by going through a truly a true relationship where where like any relationship communication takes place it's interesting how you worded that i was thinking when you mentioned that the belonging and what I was thinking, it, it just came to my mind when I first accepted Christ, it wasn't due to anything but belonging to a father who was perfect. Like that was what drew me to Christianity. I was I was an avowed atheist before all of that. I, I couldn't stand the thought of even someone saying that there was a God. For me in junior high, I thought it was Christianity was a pill for the masses to placate them. And I really did believe that. But when I realized that it wasn't just a set of laws or religion or rituals that I would have to follow, but that there was belonging in something that was so amazing and great, that broke me down like completely. And that's what brought me to Christ. And yeah. my first two or three years in the Lord were so zealous and in, 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 like the desire for intimacy. I strove each day to read his word, not because I, I maybe it was to, to learn more, but it was to learn more about this being this, this God that I now believed in. And I wanted to know everything I could about him. I wanted to, I wanted to get down to the deepest level of who he was, but then like three or four years into it, I started making it more academic and I, I, I walked away from the intimacy and it was just like, Oh, I know about God. Oh yeah. I, I can tell you all about, you know, what he's done and the plans, but it, it lacked that intimate feel. It would be like a, a husband and wife if, if we use that. And I'm actually impressed with those middle schoolers. You said it was middle schoolers that were doing, you were teaching all that too. Middle I'm school impressed and, and high school both. Yeah. Okay. But even then high schoolers using those words, I guess that was kind of a different generation back then. If, if that was a while back. Oh no, but, it wasn't that long ago. Kids are smart still. <laughs> very, yeah, very much so. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's great. We've, we've yeah. had a couple of discipleship groups for high school students and some of them understand the lingo. Um, yeah. Some of them it's, it's like a brand new idea. So yeah, that's good to know. But, but with the husband and wife, analogy when i when i think about that you hear some people that and maybe you've heard it in counseling i've heard people speak about it but it's usually post divorce or in the middle of a divorce or just before a divorce but they say i feel like i'm just a roommate like we're just roommates and we're no longer in that relationship and i felt like there was a period of time in my walk with christ that that's we we were roommates right like <laughs> i know his spirit was indwelling me. And I know that the father and the son were in me, but 
we were just roommates at that time. And, you know, I, we were cool roommates. We'd hang out. But ultimately, uh, it wasn't about learning more and more and, and getting deeper into our relationship. It was just, yeah, I've got this cool roommate over here. Hey, 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 you know, and you wave to him and and that. But this, I, th- I think the belonging, I think the feeling loved, supported. I mean, you can just read through the Psalms and get an idea of like, what this looks like with David or even with Ezra and to read some of the Psalms and the words that they use. And I I can't imagine there's too many Christians out there when, when you hear the words of David praising God, that they'd go, I don't really want that kind of relationship with God. (laughs) I mean, right. Yeah. I'm with you. Can I back up just a little bit to what you're saying and ask you a question? Sure. So you, you first came to the Lord because of the desire for a perfect father. Yeah, um, and then and then, and you felt, you know, you you had a a feeling of intimacy. You had a feeling of connection. You had you had joy. You were enthusiastic, and then as you described it, you know, it became more. Uh, you kind of fell into a pattern, or exactly. I don't remember exactly how you said it. There's more, more academic. Room, yeah, academic or roommate. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Um, The early days, while you felt emotion, you felt relational, you felt motivational. Do you think that ties into what we've been trying to teach people and how we and how the Bible talks about truly abiding in the Lord? That in fact you, you've actually, you know, built a bridge to the how the how question as opposed to where right now we're doing what why would we want intimacy with the Lord? But the event itself of coming to know Christ, right, gave you a sense of, uh, oh, my goodness, I've found the answer. And so you had a sense of elation or whatever that might have had. But then it began to wane. And what we've been trying to tell people is it doesn't have to wane. It doesn't have to fall off. We can grow into this abiding relationship and in the communication with God that what you felt early on that might have been completely born of the spirit, but it may have actually still been born of your flesh, your own, the emotional person you were that you grew up with, not knowing the Lord. So you found a new thing and it felt good. But then we begin to learn more about the Lord. And as we're, like you were saying, mentioning the Psalms, and I'm pretty sure you're going to look at a couple of them. Then when we see what we can have sustained in that way, we go, I want that feeling all the time. I want to keep that, that connection strong, you know, through the good times, through the bad times. And abiding itself in Christ is the, is what he offers us to maintain that connection. So let me, I I just want to insert then if you're listening to this podcast, we won't spend a lot of time in this particular podcast about the how of it, but you might go back to our very first two podcasts. Basically, I don't remember the title, but I think it was. What is abiding? What is abiding part one and part two. And so it'd be season one, episodes one and two. And, and, you know, it was the startup to 
Chris's podcast. So we delved into what does it look like to abide? And that abiding leads to this intimacy that we're talking about. Sorry for that interruption. It just felt like a, a good point because of what you shared about coming to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. No. And going to your question, I can, I can't answer fully on that because that was quite a few years ago. But what I can say was I had never really read the Bible before, ever, before I became a Christian uh, in the lead up to it. But when I became a Christian, I opened that word every day. And it wasn't just for five or 10 minutes. It was, I have to know everything that I possibly can about this God. I want to know everything I can. I, I want to hear of him. I want to see what he's done. And that lasted two years of just constant reading in the word, which, you know, was the the number one pillar in, in abiding was reading for transformation. I wanted more of God mm. through his words. I, I can't say that, you know, there was a, a flesh element of the new exciting thing, but at the same time, after that honeymoon period, if you want to compare it to that, after the honeymoon period, my reading of the word was like ritualistic. It's like 15 minutes a day. I'm going to read one chapter and because I've already read all these books. So I, I already know everything there is to know about what's in these books. So I'm just going to read a chapter and just refresh it. Yeah, you started going to church and and learned the wrong way. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Happens to most Christians. So thinking, I, I just want to show, just highlight a couple of phrases and, and ask the listener, would you want this level of intimacy with the Lord? And, and just a couple of Psalms. The first one, Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. That's that's uh, Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. That's, that's I mean, that's that's pretty, uh, pretty deep with someone yeah. else, right? Like, yeah. Um, how about Psalm... Psalm 26. Um, so he says in. Oops, that was 27. Go back to 26. There it is. Okay. He says in verse eight, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away or take my soul away with sinners, nor my life with the men of bloodshed and whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place and the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. I love the habitation of your house. <laughs> I mean, when you have an intimate relationship with somebody, a good one, and remember, getting past the whole idea of intimacy that almost always brings up the idea of sexual relationships sure. in, in our world today. 
Uh, and uh, yes, that's a form of intimacy, but it's certainly not the only form and it's not the highest form, but that eye to eye, face to face, mind to mind, heart to heart, deep, deep, deep knowledge of one another that produces trust and confidence and love and joy and harmony and all of those kind of things. You just want to be in the same home with that person. You just want to be with that person. Sure. You know, you know, uh, you know, I, to this day, uh, people will ask me, what is it now? 23, 23, 24 years after the tragic loss of my wife to a drunk driver, people asked, well, aren't you lonely for a woman in your life? And I go, yeah, I'm really lonely for a woman in my life. I, I long for a woman in my life but only long for one woman in my life and I can't have her, you know, yeah. she's in, she's in heaven. I, I, I would, if, if God granted me a couple hours and he <laughs> allowed me to be with her and she came back in the flesh, you know, uh, for a few hours, gee, many Christmas out, how, how, Horrible would that be if all I did was act like a, a, a stupid man and grab her hand and rush to the bedroom? Yeah. No, I, you know, just sit down in, in front, knees touching, hands together, hearing her say, how are you? You know, and me saying, I, I'm, I'm good, but I miss you so bad. What's it like in heaven? <laughs> I want to give me the details. And she says, okay, I'll give you some. And then you give me some. And just to meet and connect and and be emotional and relational together. You know, uh. I love the habitation of your home. That is, it doesn't answer how, but it certainly does answer why a person should want intimacy with God, right? Yeah. yeah, that's good. Good choice of passages, and and going along with that, the very next psalm. If we go into verse four, Psalm twenty-seven, one thing have I asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple, for in time. Yeah. Or the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret of his tent, he will hide me. Wow. Yeah. Somebody might ask the question, well, isn't he just talking about the temple or the tabernacle, the actual facility, right? Well, yeah, you have great intimate connection and worship when you go to the temple, in their case, the Israelites, or before the temple, the tabernacle. But God said over and over again, I, you know, I don't delight in sacrifice. I don't delight in incense. I don't, I don't take delight in you being in the, in the house of the Lord. I delight in a broken and contrite heart, a, a heart of worship, right? A heart of yeah. connection, a heart of faith, a heart of trust, a heart of intimacy, you know, a relationship. Yeah. So here, while the imagery is about, the temple or the tabernacle. It's about the heart. It's about the connection. 
Yeah, that's a you're picking great passages. I know I would want all this. I do want this. <laughs> yeah. It's a, so so even just looking at those, I mean, if we just stop with just three of the Psalms, I, I can assure you, if you've never walked through the Psalms, spend a summer in the Psalms and and look through. You will see this this common thread throughout all of them and ask yourself, is that the type of relationship I'd want with human? Okay. What about with the God who can know me more than a human could ever, ever know? And and I can't imagine there's many out there that say, yeah, I'll pass on that. You know, like that's that's something to our deepest level that we want and we can have it. I mean, that's that's the truth of Christianity. It's not some removed theistic God. It's not, you know, some God that we have to be perfect for. We have to do all these sacrifices for. He's a God who desires that that heart for him. I mean, look at look at how he called David a man after his own heart. And this is the words that we see with David. I mean, this this is this is huge. So how let's contrast that with modern Christianity. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna generalize this. There are probably some great churches out there that are living this exact idea that they're living with intimacy in the lord that the preachers are preaching it that the elders are you know discipling it and i love that um but that's just not been the case of a lot of churches that i've seen or heard of from other people it it kind of it seems different so i I think maybe there's a a couple different types that we see in christianity right yeah i would agree with that i i think yes indeed you know this the heart of Christianity, this accepting Christ and abiding in Christ is alive and well in many, many, many churches and lots and lots of believers. But but the whole thing about abiding in Christ moves us away from the things you're about to talk about. And so it's so there's no need for press. There's no need for attaboys. There's no need for, ooh, look at us. We are the ones who are really close to Jesus, right? We know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit better than anybody else. And then sometimes we even use the these and the thous, you know. <laughs> sure. And, and 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 begin to talk in weird language. So it doesn't get a lot of press. But what does get the press is the stuff you're about to talk about that they utilize to substitute to counterfeit for true abiding yeah and that's a good word there yeah so we see legalism we hear about it we we see a lot of people trying to recover from it i know there's there's quite a few people in my groups i'm sure you you may have seen it in in a couple of your discipleship groups but this legalism this uh works you know I, i have to do all these works or God's not going to love me. Um, yep. Wow. It's a it's a plague. It's an absolute monstrosity. It's it's a plague. Yeah. And it's been there from the beginning. I mean, this was this yep. the Pharisees were introducing this into some of the Christian churches. Paul talks about this pretty significantly um, throughout. I think in Galatians, the whole letter is is countering this legalistic approach that potentially was taking a hold in, you know, the, the 
um, the churches in Asia. Yeah. 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 So, you know, how is this different than from a legalist point of view? So if, if I'm a legalist, you know, I'm, I'm seeing things from the perspective of God's law is supreme and part of the call in my life is to follow God's law fully, right? Like this would be kind of the legalistic approach. And if I, if I break God's law, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm due for some sort of punishment or, you know, a, a, maybe a black mark on my record in heaven. Like what, you know, I think I, would, I, the... think I, I think I would nuance it a little differently. I, I don't think it's, I, you know, we don't want to break God's law. But legalists add to the truth of God, the truth of the word of God, God's law, God's precepts, God's statutes, principles, his word, scripture, all the different words in the Bible that apply to the Bible itself. Legalism is when we take some particular things from the Bible and make them our hobby horse. They just you know, we, we push those. And so, you know, and, and we force them on other people because we practice them. So some of the dumber ones, you know, in the recent past, when that's 50, 75 years, you know, uh, women always had to wear a dress to church. Sure. Uh, men had to wear a coat and tie. Uh, no dancing. Teenage boy, teenage boy can't have long hair. Yeah. No dancing. Uh, you know, all, just a, a, a ton of rules. And uh, the Israelites did this. They added to the word of God at hundreds. Of, of, and then the church, when when the church was started, the same thing happened. People began to add all these rules. And, and those, they're, they're, it's kind of like, well, we're so holy. We're going to make sure you're holy too. And the way to stay holy is, you know, to add to the word of God and, and, you know, it became so bad that in ancient Israel, they forgot how to say the actual personal name of God. Yeah. So the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, and we're going to make sure you don't. So <laughs> the priest, you know, told everybody to use a different word instead of the name. And eventually we we have an idea. We know We know the spelling of it. You know, in English, it would be Y-H-W-H. But and they would, some people derive Jehovah from that, or Yahweh, or Yahweh, or Yahweh. There's we don't really know uh, because they guarded it so by not letting anybody ever say it. So it's really kind of a so legalism, I think, is those additions, and then we demanded of one another in order to be acceptable at church. That's that's great clarity on that. Yeah. And contrasted with this intimacy, the intimacy is that I want to know who the Lord is, and I want to, even more so knowing, I want to do the things that please him, right? Like inside of a marriage or a relationship, I don't think like, oh, I know my spouse really hates this. So I'm going to do this constantly. Like that's generally in an intimate relationship. Maybe there's some poking and fun and, you know, some some silliness in there. But but if you know there's something that really irks, like leaving socks 
dirty socks on a couch or something. You're generally not going to continue to do that, or you're going to be sleeping on said couch, right? <laughs> yeah, so, you're right. I mean, when we're when we have that kind of intimacy with somebody, we 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 get the privileges of intimacy. We have agenda harmony. We have joy. We have contentment. We have peace. We have communication. We have laughter. We we cry when we're mourning and we're sad about something. We work hard. We play hard together. We plan well together. We ask one another questions. Um, we delight in fulfilling their will. And if it's reciprocal, because it, it has to be reciprocal or it's not true intimacy. And because it's intimate and reciprocal, they in turn act the same way towards us. You know, I often say like in a marriage, you know, and the only thing the couple has to fight over is who gets to be nicer to you know yeah i always remember you saying that i like that yeah, you know, yeah. Where, where would you like to go out to eat no 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 where do you want to go out for supper or dinner no 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 i get to be nicer to you than you are to me and you know and that and it becomes comical it becomes playful people are like that's bogus that does not exist no nay nay just because you haven't experienced it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things in the past, one of the ideas about this legalism that, that I, I can remember, and uh, I might put the quote directly inside it within the, the show notes, but Wayne Grudem uh, wrote a really good, a whole chapter on on legalism um in his book systematic theology but he and I, and I can only paraphrase this i don't have it in front of me right now but he said uh that legalism can can put burdens that are not in the word of god on the hearts of men and women and yep. can cause the shame that's not uh from the lord onto those individuals so that they think that they're sinning and they're asking for forgiveness of sins that aren't sins that the yeah. Lord never even and called out as sin. And uh, it, it leads to this shame and, and, and we'll talk about another one, but it can lead to an even worse position. Um, so, yeah, that that's completely contrary to, to intimacy because intimacy yeah. is really just looking at who God is. Right. And and finding yeah. that out and, and and you're right not breaking the, the lord's law, uh, law that that was uh hopefully that's not what i was trying to put out there but yeah i want to follow it because I, I know who he is and i want to do the things that please him and and i want to have agenda harmony with the lord like jesus showed with the father yeah. so we've got the second we've got the second type and these are the the worldly christian i think is a a word i've i've heard or it's almost like a secular christian or a flesh-driven Christian. These are the ones that they got their ticket to heaven and maybe that was good enough. Um, you know, they 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 see God's word, but they don't pick it up. It's collecting dust on, you know, it's an immaculate Bible on the bookshelf, but yeah. it's never really seen much action. They can tell you that there's Jesus is God and he died for your sins. Um, and obviously it's so important but it doesn't change their life. It didn't doesn't transform them. They don't live in victory. They don't 
they don't go through this transformation that we see. And, you know, this, this is also a very common type of Christian, if we want to say a, a type. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the opposite of legalism. It's, uh, yeah. you know, they talk about liberty. I have liberty to live my life with God. But libertinism is taking advantage of the grace of God. So if you look at it through the lens of, you know, kind of the socio-political terminology, the left and the right, legalists would be over on the right. They're robbing everybody of grace, right? The, the secular, fleshy type driven Christianity would be on the opposite side. They'd be on the left where everything's, everything's relative. There is no truth. You just do whatever you want to do. Uh, and because God is love, it is loving and filled with grace. There are even some Christians who will say that God's grace is increased the more we sin. <laughs> the, the more we violate the Bible, uh, we're actually doing God a favor because he can now show us. You know, that's a, a pretty absurd, but there are actually people who believe that it's called hyper grace. Yeah. And whether it's on the, whether it's, whether it's the hard-nosed grace robber or the people on the other side of the spectrum who take advantage of God's grace, that's no way to live our, that's no way to walk with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think Paul addressed that, right? Like this antinomianism or this hyper grace, this progressive look. I think it was Romans 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone, slaves for obedience, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you are slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. Um, and having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Yeah, it's important to understand why he uses the word slave. He's not in any way condoning slavery. He's making a yeah. very, very important point about what it looks like. So in a loving way in my relationship with my wife, I was really a slave to her. What I say with a big smile on my face. I just wanted to do whatever she wanted. I, yeah. I and so and and why does why does God have the apostle use that that phrase? Well, because before being born again, we're slaves to sin. We're in bondage to everything other than God. We find all our meaning, all our significance, all our security all our purpose and our identity in anything and everything other than God. We are completely separated from the very source of life and eternal abundant life. So we are slaves. We're in bondage to that, to those, to that life. That's the very nature of who I was when I was born. But when I'm born again in Christ, now I get the opposite. Now, now I am, attached at the hip to God. I am eye to eye with him. I am on agenda harmony. Uh, when he says jump, I jump. Why? Because it, he knows it's a good thing for me to jump. 
<laughs> he knows it will produce righteousness in me, whatever it is he asks, right? And because he loves me that much, he will only ask what will increase to my benefit and others. So it's really a particular way that the apostle uses that word slave. And, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful contrast. You were once truly, honestly enslaved to everything other than God. Mm. In Christ, we are now attached. You know, we're a love slave, a true love slave by choice. And going and going back to what you said in the beginning, going to the what is abiding. You know, our second pillar of abiding is living a life of dependence yeah. through surrender and submission. I mean, yeah. if you think of the life of a of a slave, truly, they've surrendered their own will, whether it was forced upon them or they, they took up the, the mantle of slave to serve yeah. someone or another purpose. So the surrender and submission is not the, the I, I always refer to them as the dirty S's, the dirty S words in our society, because surrender yeah. is not not something that that we like to say submission no way don't tell me to submit and yeah. uh it's it's huge in the yeah. christian faith yeah yeah and then, so what about this last one the the self-defeated christian the self-deprecating christian this is the the one that i i would say is the result of um the legalist but it could be the result of other traumas in life but this is the one that lives in, if you take the term toxic shame, but this is the one that their whole way of life is just, they live in such shame, such um, disappointment with themselves that how could God ever love me when I'm just so wretched and yeah. awful? And I don't even, I don't, I'm, I'm, I can't even be saved because, you know, I broke God's heart in this way and this way, and I keep sinning and I'm just a sinner. And, there's a lot of different, you know, colloquialisms that we might use in different denominations or whatever, but I think they all point to the same idea, a Christian who is just living in defeat. Yeah, well, I think you've said it very well. I mean, whether whether it's the result of wayward, mixed up, confused, or by choice, just flat wrong. Christians who are hard-nosed legalists, they're grace robbers. They, they, they just don't really understand what Jesus has done for them. And they hurt people. They hurt people emotionally, socially, psychologically. You know, and by the way, can we just pause for a moment and extend our sincere apologies to anyone out there who's been hurt by people referring to themselves as followers of Jesus and, and acting in this monstrosity of a format to theology. What is that one church that shows up in the news from time to time? Westboro. Yeah, Westboro Baptist Church. Can I just say to you, dear listeners, that is not a church. It's a cult. And uh, yeah. they're not following Jesus, no matter how often they shout it, you know, uh, what they do and belittling and cursing people is not what Jesus asks of anybody. Whether the hurt is from, like I said, wayward, confused, whatever, you know, 
legalist within the, the the umbrella of Christendom, or it comes from people who don't even know Jesus. They're just beat down. They've been traumatized. They've had tragedy heaped upon them. They've been neglected or perhaps even treated permissively so that they, they don't know any uh, problem-solving skills. They don't have any ability to um, to climb out of the pit they're in. There's a lot of people who have said yes to Jesus and are still living with that, that defeatist hole in their heart. And an intimacy with Jesus is the answer to that. Church is not the answer to that. Good works is not the answer to that. Serving the Lord is not the answer to that. Um, becoming a Bible scholar is not the answer to that. Yeah, you can just add to that list, right? Yeah. You know, you know, you you see this lots in people's lives. What what would you add to that list? The things that do not do not correct the thing that they want to have corrected. Um, yeah showing up at church every time the doors open following yeah. the rules as carefully as they can volunteering at different yeah. events yeah yeah it just goes on and on and on it, it, and yet unfortunately so oftentimes that's what it seems to be that seems to be the practice within the body of christ if you do all these things you know you'll feel good lo and behold it doesn't work that way what really matters is <laughs> is sitting at the feet of Jesus just just reveling in the relationship with with the with the Trinity yeah abiding that's it yeah 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 of those of those of those three categories you know my heart goes out to all three of them because they're lost you know they're lost in their way. Jesus wants to solve all three of those problems, and he he will and does on a regular basis if if we truly understand the, the fullness of the gospel. And so, along with that, Jesus through intimacy changes things, changes things in our hearts and our minds. So when we have this intimacy with Christ Jesus in the way that we're describing. It changes my level of devotion, you know, and yeah. you, you said it so well, like a love slave, you know, within a, within a marriage. And, and if we can get, get past the societal expectations on, you know, how wrong that seems to be, but going to the, the beauty of it, I surrender my will so that theirs can be done. Right. And yeah. what you said in the beginning, they surrender their will so that yours gets done. And then you have this battle of surrendering wills. Well, <laughs> God doesn't have to surrender his will. But when we surrender our will to him, this is all of a sudden now where we see him do things greater than we could have ever done. And I just I, I, I want to share a little bit from my own experience on this, because I had I never fully went through the schooling, but I, I studied in systematic theology. I studied the word of God. I, I studied the commentaries and I made it an academic pursuit to know God, but it didn't, 
it didn't help me. I went through a divorce and it was traumatizing. It was not what I wanted. And I, I fought with everything I could to stop it. But ultimately, my will was not strong enough to stop that. And my faith, it took a, took a hit. I still believed in God. But I, I came to be the self-defeated Christian, the one who believed that all of the prayers that I would say would be answered for everyone but one person on this world, and that was me. And so I, I truly believed that I was defeated, that I had lost because I, I couldn't hold my marriage together. And now my kids were suffering. And my level of devotion in the Lord before that was not deep enough to carry me through that trial. I remember calling you. I'd call you all, to, all the time, and you wouldn't answer. And I thought, life is over. Ricky's not going to answer. He's the only source of, you know, of essentially godliness that I have in my life. And he can't answer my question, and I need someone to pray for me. But God's not going to hear a prayer for me, from me, because of who I am. And so my level of devotion was solo. I would read God's word and I would I would sit there and I'd beat my chest, but I'd say, I'm I'm unworthy of even your love. You know, just forget about me. Almost to the level of Job, um, where he just beats his chest. I wish I was never born. I can't tell you how many times that entered my mind. It wasn't in suicidal ideations, but it was just, God, it would have just been better if I had never been born. It would be better if I had never been married. It would be better if, you know, my kids didn't have to see this. Um, and that hurt a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I can't, yeah. I, I, I can't even fathom what I would have been able to get through with that if I had had that intimacy with God. I had the academics, I had the knowledge, but I didn't have the, the faith. And not faith as in the, the punchline, faith that Jesus died for me. Yeah, I, I, I had that the whole time. Faith that I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I've got that the whole time. But faith that God could carry me through, faith that God still loved me, faith that Romans 7 and 8 was true, the faith that this faith brings about righteousness and justification and that I'm still redeemed, and that I'm still reconciled, and I still have a spirit that he created inside of me? No way. I didn't, down in my core, I, I, okay, maybe, but it didn't change how I lived. I was depressed for months and months and months, and I'm just, I'm being, you know, pretty vulnerable here, but it was, it was painful, and it hurt, and I, I couldn't see a light out of it, and, um, and so when I when I think of those who are in this right now, when I think of those who are living in those those three different categories that we talked about, when and if you're one of those people, when you go through hell on earth, when you go through trial or a trauma that is so deeply hurting, whether it's in your life kids' life, your family's life. The intimacy with Christ is the only thing that's going to get you through that without 
utter despair, despondency, and destruction. Without seeking pills to get through depression, numbing out with alcohol or with sex or with drugs. Because it's only through that intimacy in Christ that you you truly start to remember who you are and who he's called you in. And it doesn't matter what I do. It never did. For my value in his eyes, he still loved me. I was I was elected. I was chosen. And now that I can see that, I, I hope I don't have any more trials like that. But, but if I do, I know it's going to be different. I know through faith, because I have a hope in the things to come. And I know deep down in my heart, my spirit, that it's true, that I'm still loved by God. And I hope that you who are listening can come to understand that the word of God preaches this to us, that Paul, Peter, John, James, they all preach the same thing. That if we can just submit to God, flee from the devil, and God will draw near to you, and you can draw near to him. And it's it's so, I can't even put it in, I lack the ability to put it into words, the beauty that's associated with this in your heart and your mind. And I, I, I can't, I can't add to that, but I mean, it, it, it brings tears to my eyes just thinking that there, there are others who may be in the same thing that I was in five or six years ago, living in the depression. And if they found this, there is a way through all of that. And it's in your faith in Christ, not just faith that he's set you up for heaven and that this world's a wash, but faith that he can transform your life here and now. Oh, that's, that's just so well said and so heartfelt. It, 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 you're right. I mean, when we, when we abide in, in God, then his presence becomes more real to us every day, moment by moment. And, and it, it's no longer just, you know, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but we we receive from him then daily. We, you know, Jesus said, you know, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness early in his ministry, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the lips of God. And so Jesus then said, I am the bread of life, right? Uh so what becomes of ultimate important importance to us is the measurable experience of God in our life, the presence of God, which is what he wants for us in this abiding relationship. It becomes exciting to seek him daily. And I, I know I know that if you are ever faced with that level of trauma again in your life, you will have a different testimony. I know that you'll have a different testimony. It it doesn't mitigate down the pain. That never we still hurt. You know, just think of the Lord Jesus be you know going to the cross. I mean, before he got to the cross, he was he agonized over the whole process, the whole thing. 
but there's a difference between wanting to escape from pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, any kind of pain, and the knowledge and the, the intimacy to know that when we're going through that, there's somebody always right there with me. So, you know, as we go back and relate it once again to, to, the, to the marriage relationship, I long for my wife's presence in my life. But not like I used to. And if I was away from her for a week, you know, I remember the very first time when I, we had never been separated for even a day for the first five years of our marriage. And then I, I went to a camp uh, as, a, as a pastor, went to a, an evangelistic Bible camp for high school students. And I was gone for six days. Man, it was everything I could do not to have the state patrol following me, that little Toyota of mine on the way home. Man, it was pedal to the metal. Because uh, I just I just wanted to be near her. And, well, we're not talking about something tangible or palpable, like something physical. It is still measurable. The abiding presence of God spiritually is measurable and, Again, you know, the how question we haven't delved into this particular podcast, but I hear your heart, Chris, and I know your testimony would be different if you had to face that kind of turmoil again in your life. Yeah. Pain would be just as bad, but how we feel that pain, how we grapple with it, how we deal with it, how we're, we're actually content with it. In abiding, we are able to translate our trauma and our pain into the glory of God. And wherever the glory yeah. of God, whatever the glory of God exists, it's good for everybody around. Every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a good place to to wrap up this series on desires of the heart, as well as this particular one on intimacy. And um, yeah, Ricky, would you would you mind closing us in prayer? Well, Lord, I want to thank you. Um, I know right here, right now, the infinite, eternal, never changing, perfectly perfect in every way creator of all that is other than yourself is here residing in uh, Silverdale, Washington and residing with Chris in Nashville and wherever believer or believers happens to be our great prayer tonight and, uh, and always Father, is that folks come to know you for salvation and abide with you for security and purpose and life and peace and contentment in the middle of all the stuff that the world throws at us. 
So we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thank you for listening, and God bless.